Long History How Manila Became Spanish Part 3 The Marvellous Bay and the Magnificent Lord of Manila Hello everyone and welcome to Long History. At the moment we're covering a document called How Manila Became Spanish and we're on to part 3 of a 5 part series but there will be another related document after this. And both documents look at the early days of the establishment of the Spanish capital of Manila. As we'll see in this episode, Manila already existed in those days, but the Spanish took it over from the king at that time. So before we begin, don't forget that there's lots to explore on long history. In particular, there's two documents we've already covered which are related to this one. Those are the journey to colonise the Philippines and the Philippines' first Spanish colony. Now in the previous episode, the Spanish had made it to the island Luzon, which is where Manila is based. And the Spanish had split up into two groups, one with Captain Juan de Salcedo in charge, and the other with the master of camp, Martin de Gaita in charge, with the latter being in overall charge. The master of camp stopped in a town called Balayan, and there he waited for Captain Juan de Salcedo's men. This group disappeared for a few days, and then when they finally met with the master of camp at Balayan, the captain, Juan de Salcedo, had been in a few scuffles and arrived with an injured leg, injured with a poisoned arrow. The previous episode ended with us listening to Captain Juan de Salcedo's version of events. And as this episode begins, Juan de Salcedo's version continues. His men have landed in a town and now enter it. As this episode begins, Captain Juan de Salcedo will finish his tale off and then the narrative will return to Balayan, where the master of camp is. And now that all the men are reunited in Balayan, the journey to Manila can continue. So here we go, with How Manila Became Spanish, Part 3, The Marvellous Bay and the Magnificent Lord of Manila. The Spaniards entered the town and set free two Chinamen, who were kept there in chains. They learned from these men the ostensible reason for their imprisonment as follows. Two Chinese ships had come to trade with the Moros in this river, but, hearing of our presence in Mindoro, they desired to betake themselves thither. The Moros would not allow them to go away. In the quarrel that ensued over the question of their departure, the Chinese fired a culver in from one of the ships and killed a Moro chief. The Moros assembled to avenge him and overtook the Chinese as they were about to sail out to sea through the estuary. It seems that the vessels were wrecked on certain shoals at the entrance to the estuary and the Chinese, with all their possessions, fell into the power of the Moros who inflicted on them a severe punishment, seizing them all and putting them to death by inches in a most cruel manner, flaying their faces and exposing them on reeds and mats. When the Spaniards entered the town, they encountered not a few similar sights, and so recent was this deed that the flayed faces of the Chinese were still bleeding. Such was the account given by Captain Juan de Salcedo of what had occurred that day during his absence from the master of camp. The Balayan Moros, who had come out peacefully, detained the master of camp there for three or four days giving him, little by little, some impure gold. The latter, to avoid any further delay, decided to proceed to Manila. 
Accordingly, he left these morrows on peaceful terms, telling them to collect for his return what was lacking of the amount promised. Then he sailed along the coast towards Manila, which was said to be three leagues from that town. The chiefs of this town of Balayan said that they wished to accompany the Spaniards one day's journey from their town, in order to avenge themselves for injuries and wrongs received at the hands of some neighbouring communities on the coast called Tulayansi. Therefore, seven or eight prows of Moros went with us, and when we reached that coast, two prows with white flags were seen, which advanced to the ship of the master of camp. Upon arriving there, they declared that they were natives of that coast, and that three towns, which could be seen with the naked eye, wished to be our friends, and to give us tribute, as the others did. The master of camp received them in peace, and assured them of friendship, notwithstanding that the Balayan Moros who came with us opposed him, saying that those people ought not to be admitted to friendship, because they were hostile to themselves for making peace with us first. These arguments were of little avail, for the master of camp declared to both parties that he had come to make friendship with all, and that his friends should have no differences between themselves. That, in case they did, it would be right for them to go to the Spaniards for the settlement of them, and that the one breaking with the other would be considered as enemy of the Spaniards. When they heard this answer, both sides promised to abide by that decision, whereupon the master of camp dismissed them all, advising those natives who had lately offered their friendship to have the tribute ready upon his return. According to the men of Balayan, the enmity between these towns was because a Balayan vessel, on its return from Manila, laden with merchandise, was driven by stormy weather on that coast of Tulai, and the natives showed them so excellent hospitality that, instead of helping and receiving them kindly as neighbours should, they stole the goods of the Balayans and killed two of them, setting their heads on stakes. Similar sights were noticed by the Spaniards in these towns, which still exhibited the cruelty of the deed. This coast is called Tulai. It has broad shoals, and for this reason, as well as for the keen desire of all our men to set foot in Manila, they remained there only one night. Therefore, at dawn, they set out for the town called Manila, which, according to report, was quite near. They sailed along the coast, noting many bays and ports. There were some towns along the shore whose inhabitants and citizens had sought other shelter, taking away the best of their possessions. The oared vessels came to shore to see what these towns contained, but, finding no people, they sailed on. The large vessel was sailing about a league from the coast. Here they met some small boats, which the natives called tapaques. They were laden with provisions, rice and salted sardines without the heads, resembling those which are found in Espana. The soldiers of the prows took away a quantity of rice from the Moros, who did not defend themselves. The latter were allowed to depart in freedom with their vessels. There were some who did defend themselves, and wounded two Spaniards and killed one of the friendly Indians who accompanied us. 
The master of camp, as he was sailing in the large vessel, was unable to put a stop to these disorders, for they were occurring in his absence. When he heard of this, and that the morrow ships were coming from the Bay of Manila laden with provisions, he cast anchor in a small port, and there, calling together all the prows, censured the men for their disorderly conduct, ordering them not to depart from his ship from that time on. The next morning, having heard from a Moro captured in one of the Tapaques that the town of Manila was very near, all the vessels and prows set sail, taking the captured Moro as guide. In the afternoon they came in sight of a very large bay which formed a wide gulf. It resembled a narrow sea with its entrance at that point, but the guides affirmed that the land was one, and so it proved to be when we entered the bay. We had taken with us from Panay a Moro, a native of the town of Manila, who has had intercourse with the Spaniards for many years and is well known among them. For when the camp was in Zebu, he always came to sell them provisions. Before the master of camp started on this expedition from Panay, this Moro and his wife and one son had become Christians. He left his wife in Panay and accompanied the master of camp as interpreter. He had taken with him his brother, who was likewise a native of Manila. When we entered the bay, these men advised the master of camp not to cast anchor before the town of Manila itself, for the coast was treacherous, and to enter the river it was necessary to wait for high tide. They advised him to anchor in a small sheltered port, two leagues from the port of Manila, and thence to send word to Raja Soliman, the greatest chief of all that country with whom the terms of peace and friendship were to be made, and whose opinion was to be heeded. The master of camp found this advice good, and felt at ease about the port, for he had been fretting over the possibility of finding shelter in all that bay, which, because it was so large and spacious, seemed almost harbourless. Therefore, we sailed straight to the harbour pointed out by the guides, reaching it two hours before nightfall. The land all around this bay, in the port where we anchored, and which the guides declared to be the port of Manila, was really marvellous. It appeared to be tilled and cultivated, the slopes were smooth and had but little herbage. In fact, so excellent indications have not been seen in this land as were seen there. After the master of camp cast anchor in the small port, the prows and the frigate arrived there. On that day, it was decided to send to Raja Soliman, Lord of Manila, to request peace and friendship, and that the man appointed for this should be the brother of Mehomete, the converted Moro. It was decided that the captive Moro and a Kafre interpreter should go to examine the port and its position, as well as to sound the mouth of the river. These men departed the next morning, two hours before daybreak. Before leaving the ships, Mehomet's brother, who had been married in Manila, said that he would be able to bring back an answer on the same day, as he intended to rest at his own house. The master of camp was so desirous of making peaceful terms with the town of Manila that, although hasty by nature and disposition, he patiently waited there for three days after the morrow's departure. The morrow returned with another man, his uncle, 
who was said to be a servant of the King of Manila. He had been sent to act as ambassador, with certain other Moros who accompanied him. He tried to make us understand with high-sounding words that his master was a most magnificent lord. After a great show of authority and many pauses, he finally declared that the King of Manila wished to be the friend of the Spaniards, and that he would be pleased to have them settle in his land as they had done in Cebu and Panay. The master of camp answered, through the interpreters, that he was much pleased to consider the King of Manila as a friend of the Spaniards, since his only aim in coming was that of offering them peace and friendship. He also added that to carry out these wishes it was necessary for them to see each other. He therefore declared that he was going to set out immediately for the said town of Manila, and said that the morrow should precede him to advise the chief of it. The morrow ambassador begged him not to set sail until he had already gone a little distance, for he wished to go first to advise his master. The master of camp promised him to do so, and so managed that until the morrow had gone a considerable distance, he would not set out. But when it appeared that the morrow had advanced about half a league away from us, all the vessels set out in the wake of his prow. So there's something going on here. Things seem to be going well, and everyone seems to be insisting on peace and friendship. And yet there's a sense of something happening in the background. This Moro ambassador has said a lot of friendly words, but doesn't seem to want to encourage the master of camp to go to see Raja Soliman too quickly. But the master of camp seems to want to catch the Raja Soliman by surprise in some way. So in the next episode we'll find out how the Spaniards are greeted by the town of Manila. Thank you for listening everyone to the latest episode of Long History. I hope you've enjoyed it and if you have please do give it a like. And before you move on don't forget there's lots to explore on Long History. Certainly plenty about the early days of the Philippines. So thank you for listening. This was How Manila Became Spanish Part 3 the marvellous bay and the magnificent lord of Manila. Goodbye.